Welcome to another episode of the Product Coalition European Tour. This is the London series where today I'm very excited to be joined by Robin Zaragoza. Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And I've got my co-host still with me, stuck it out, James Woodley. Hello. Thanks for joining us again, James. Coming through. Today we're going to be chatting about product management coaching. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this. Before we get stuck in, I need to give a shout out to Digital Directories, who's our location host here at WeWork in Holborn in London. Digital Directories is a legal tech startup which provides a platform for people to make informed decisions about legal issues and contact legal experts. Originally founded in Paris in 2015, the French site has over 3,500 lawyers and due to its success, a sister site in Belgium was launched in 2018, followed by Italy and the UK in 2019. Now this episode is part of the Product Coalition European Tour and that's dedicated to raising awareness and support for bushfire affected communities and wildlife in Australia. About 24 hours ago in New South Wales, the fire division there announced that all fires in New South Wales are contained, which is awesome to finally hear after three months of destruction. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the podcast episodes from the tour, please consider supporting the causes at bushfire.productcoalition.com. There's the firefighters, wildlife, or the National Bushfire Emergency Fund that you can support there. Now, I'm going to be visiting five cities across Europe to interview over 50 product leaders like Robin, who's with me today, to gain insights, knowledge, and experience to share with you the Product Coalition global community. If you've just discovered the Product Coalition, welcome. We're a global community of over half a million readers, 6,000 Slack members, and thousands of podcast listeners. Now, before we get stuck in, I need to give a huge thanks to the brands and individuals that have already contributed to the causes so far. First up is UserPilot, which is a co-free user onboarding and adoption tool designed especially for product management teams. UserPilot helps to increase conversions, user retention rates, and reduce churn by guiding new users to their first aha moment with interactive walkthroughs, contextual product tours, and onboarding checklists. It allows product managers to build customizable, behavior-triggered, in-app experiences with a simple visual editor. Go to userpilot.com to grab yourself a demo and a free trial. Shobit Chug is the intentional product manager. Shobit is a Google product manager and he helps product managers become product leaders and have careers they can be proud of. Go to intentionalproductmanager.com and sign up for Shobit's free class on the habits that turn product managers into exceptional product leaders and help them move through their careers fast. Now, convincing users to adopt new features is hard. When you're only communicating with them via email and blog posts, it's even harder to get traction. Product-led teams like Mixpanel and Flexport know that the best time and place to capture engagement is when a user is already inside the product. That's why they use Chameleon to drive feature adoption, build onboarding flows, and gather user feedback. This is all possible without code, so engineers can focus on delivering what customers really need next. Try Chameleon's product success platform at trychameleon.com forward slash success. Thank you for those individuals and businesses there that have made significant contributions to the causes so far, as well as two individuals, Rich Miranoff and Chris Miles. Robin, we can get stuck into the episode now. Great. (laughs) Looking forward to chatting about product coaching and coaching product professionals. But before we do that... In the Melbourne series, we had a locals guide to Melbourne. In the Sydney series, we had a pub quiz. In the London series for our icebreaker, we've got a game called, "Is it was it invented in London or not? Oh, okay. Being an American, I feel at a great disadvantage here. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You're, you're the second American, actually. So we had Kate on 
previous. I can't remember how Kate did. Was it one uh, out of two? One out of two, I think. I yeah. think so. Yeah, so we've got it's only two, two questions. There's only two products. Yeah. All right, well, I have 50% chance of getting them right. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see how we go first. So do you want to roll us, James, yeah, with sure. the first product? So the first product is the full-length feature film. Is it invented in London or not? Full-length feature film. Ooh. Well, feature films here are quite an industry, so it could be, but also the U.S. has been pretty big in that. I'm, I'm going to go with no. You're going to go with no? <laughs> I'm going to go with no. So you're correct in no, but it was actually Australia. Really? With our host I coming known. over from Australia. That was probably a good bit. I should have known it was a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the story of the Kelly Gang, which ran for just over an hour, was screened at the Athenium Hall in 1906, which was the world's first feature film. Cool. Four hours. Thank you for that. In yeah. 1906. Yeah. I mean, that's quite an effort for editing. They did well. <laughs> I'm surprised <laughs> the power was, the electricity was on and reliable for four hours as well. Okay, the next one is what we know as the refrigerator. Was it invented in London or not? I'm also going to go with no. How come? I feel like I've read this before somewhere. Right. Although, wait a minute, hang on. I feel like I read something about the first refrigerators being based in some place where they had to put all the food underground right. to survive. Yeah, and the UK doesn't get that cold. So I don't know. I'm still going to go with no. <laughs> I'm Trust the gut. If in doubt, trust yeah. the gut. Um, you'd be right. Two out of two. Okay, so we're nearly there with the icebreaker. Next up, if you had to go from here to Buckingham Palace for tea with the Queen... Would you choose, there's no right or wrong answer, by the way, cab, tube, rideshare, bike, or scooter, or walk? From here. From here. If it's decent weather, I think I'd walk. Yeah. Or take the bus. Nice. Yeah. Did you know your bus routes around London? I know a few of them. Yeah, nice. uh, Yeah, where I am, there's quite a few that go really all across London into South London, which right. is great. I think the bus is amazing. Cool. It's not always very efficient, <laughs> but if you have a book, you're listening to a podcast. Makes it enjoyable. Yeah. Nice, yeah. nice. As your London bus routes terrible. Nice, I'm much more of the opinion that London is a small city, so I try and walk everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, I'm on the tube. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Tube guy. Tube guy. Yeah. Um, but in summer, the tube is the worst option. Yes. For anyone. So that, but yeah, in the summer, summer, I mean, we are in London, so not guaranteed. But the weather should be better, so I'll stay <laughs> above ground in that case. And your favourite London landmark, Bobby? Ooh. Well, I live near Hampstead Heath. And that is quite possibly my favorite place in London because you can feel like you're, at least on weekends when you get out early enough, there's nobody around. You feel like you're, you know, in the countryside, Mm, in the woods. It's really nice. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. Let's get stuck into product management coaching. Before we do, Mm -hmm. could you tell us a bit about your career path, how you've ended up in the hot seat today, really, and into product? Yeah. So I started out working in the music industry. managing hard rock bands. Cool. I think like a lot of failed musicians, I wanted to be as close as possible to it as I could. And after three and a half years, working pretty long hours, getting paid pretty poorly, and also having to deal with a lot of difficult personalities, (laughs) (laughs) I needed a change. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, So I moved into marketing and account management. And when I was at one of the companies, basically I was responsible for helping to onboard new clients. And so I was the first port of call when something wasn't working properly, which was really interesting because I got to understand the expectations and the needs of customers and how our product 
was and wasn't actually answering those needs. And I found quite a lot to be desired in the product. And we were, it was a startup, it was small. And I wanted to push a particular feature and the product manager, who was also the founder, said, well, I don't have enough time to oversee this, but we do have engineering resources. Would you like to try to product manage it? Mm. And I was really nervous and excited, but he showed me the ropes a little bit. And that was my first foray into product management. It was just a small feature, but I was able to create actual revenue impact for the clients, which was very satisfying. And then after that, I decided I wanted to work in product management. So I went to a number of companies over the years, a lot of failed startups, a couple of very large publicly traded companies. And then about six years ago, I stepped out of the day-to-day of product management, mostly for lifestyle reasons. I had a child, I wanted to be able to choose my hours a little bit more. And I tried to go back into it after my daughter was born part-time, but quickly realized if you're not there to receive the data and make the decisions with the team, you're not really adding the value that you should be. Mm. I sort of looked and tried to understand a little soul searching, what can I do here? And completely by accident, I had an old colleague from eBay contact Mm. me. He was in Berlin heading up a development team and the product team hadn't had a leader for a little while and they were reporting into the COO and they were struggling. So he said, just please come help us and help us create some goals for the team because they thought that the reason the product team was struggling was because they didn't have any goals. So I said, okay, that's a really weird project, but yeah, sure, yeah. No, okay. no problem. And I showed up and I just did a bunch of stakeholder interviews. And what I realized is they didn't have a clear strategy. Mm-hmm. So I proposed that I teach the team how to develop a strategy, mostly through training materials that I developed myself, mm-hmm. but also getting stuck in with them on doing some of the competitive mapping and understanding what that meant for their strategy. And then I did a little bit of coaching with them as well to sort of uplift their skills where some of them were maybe a little bit weaker. And I realized there's a thing here. I can do product management consulting and coaching as a career. Fantastic. Yeah. So I kind of fell into my current way of working accidentally and also into product management accidentally. But yeah, I really enjoy it. You are your own product. In <laughs> yeah. in terms of I think that's the case for a lot problems. of product managers, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Nice. Okay, fantastic. And so nowadays you're, you're out there and you're coaching various different levels of product managers? Yeah. So most of the people I work with are more senior, right. might still be either individual contributors who are moving into leadership roles or heads of product. And usually what I'm helping them is is sometimes is about the tactical elements of product management and how to help their team with it. But a lot of it is also about how do you become a product leader? It's something that a lot of product managers are sort of thrown into Mm. leading a team. Mm -hmm. You spend a lot of years being an individual contributor, understanding all the technical aspects or tactical aspects of deploying a product, of understanding customers and figuring out where to take the product based on that. And then all of a sudden you have these product managers reporting into you and that's a completely different skill set. You have a lot to offer them in terms of your domain expertise, but you don't necessarily know how to instill that in them and also to help them grow in their own capacity as product managers. Right. I've certainly seen this, I think more so in the last two or three years, a number of businesses attempt placing product leaders at the executive level and to to that point they haven't necessarily got the expertise to 
perform as a product leader, as a CPO, for instance, and it's just not working out for the company. Mm. And therefore, they're cutting the CPO position back because the people stepping into these CPO roles just don't have enough experience, either in strategy or people leadership, et cetera, mm. Mm. to fulfill it at the same level and quality they're seeing from their CFO or their COO, yeah. et cetera. So it's, it's really interesting to hear that there's someone like you out there. Can I ask, is it sort of working one-to-one with a person in a company or as a, like an extracurricular activity on their day-to-day job? How does it normally work from a coaching perspective? Well, I can't speak for other coaches because right. I think product management coaches work in many different ways, but I generally have two different models. Right. One is someone who needs just occasional feedback, sounding board help. And so it's a call every once in a while. Usually when I start out with someone, it's once a week because they're in a firefighting mode. I'm mm. usually brought in because they've seen something really desperate needs to be done to help them. And then eventually it sort of falls off to every two weeks or every month. And then at some point it just kind of moves off that to if and when they need it. In other circumstances, it's sort of a combination of coaching and consulting where I spend a half a day to a a day. This is more useful for product leaders and heads of products rather than senior managers. And I'm in there and we're really diving into the details of the strategy or the details of how the team is structured. And I'm doing some coaching. I'm doing some advising on how they could go about things differently looking at what's been done before, what worked, what hasn't worked, coming up with new options. Because even at large companies, there isn't necessarily somebody there to be that sounding board or that domain expert or someone to coach you through getting from point A to point B. So that's where someone like a product coach comes in. So you mentioned earlier you've created your own learning tools. Does that kind of come into that or is that more of an extra, you know, you're hosting a class or something like that for those things? No, I don't do that. I actually do deliver Mind the Product trainings. I'm one of their trainers on the corporate side, sometimes the public side as well. I know what it is to develop really good deployable training material Mm. and how difficult it is, and I want no part of that, Okay, (laughs) (laughs) at least not in a product management sense. So when I've developed materials, they're pretty rough. They don't look nice. I wouldn't show them to anyone other than my client who I've already built the trust with so they can understand really just the basics of what we're talking about. And then it's carried forward from there. So it doesn't have to be like a finished product. Yeah. Cool. Can I ask, when you're going into almost unknown organizations for the first time, they can, I imagine, span different industries that mm-hmm. have different regulation, obviously their own cultures, et cetera. Yeah. What's it like to have to absorb so much so rapidly? And how do you handle that? How do you structure yourself in yeah. that situation? Yeah, well... What's interesting is every company thinks they're special. Right. And I I would like to say they are, but from the perspective of what I do, it doesn't really matter what industry they're in. So I've worked with a dating company. I've worked with a cybersecurity company. I've worked with an insured tech company. I've worked with travel. And when you're working at the product coaching level, it's not really about industry expertise anymore. It's not even really about understanding the customer and the product. It's understanding the product team, how they're working together, what could be better, what's blocking them from being better, whether that's cultural aspects of the organization, whether that's a lack of skill sets. And it's basically surfacing all those things so that can actually be understood, agreed to, aligned to, and then addressed. Okay. And are you still coaching founders? 
Yes, yeah, right, occasionally. Okay. Is that different as a product manager for founders yeah. versus being a founder versus working in an enterprise? Yeah. I found that working with founders can be very different, obviously, depending on the personality of the founder and yeah. the constraints and the pressures they're under. Yeah. But what's your founder coaching experience been like? I think my experience in working with startups, I might rephrase it as startups rather okay. than founders, is that you don't necessarily have people that know the job of product management well. Whereas in a large organization, there's usually a very clear progression of getting from associate product manager to product manager to senior product manager. And so by the time I'm working with somebody who's a senior or director level, they've really been through the ranks of product management. Mm -hmm. They have the war stories. They put everything into practice. Whereas at a startup, the reality is they don't always have a lot of money. And so they try to get as much as they can for as little money as they can. And often that means hiring somebody who isn't experienced in the role, maybe has done a little bit of it, but hasn't really cut their teeth yet. And they're hoping that that person can move into being an expert product manager, but they don't actually set them up for that always. And that does come down to founders as well. Sometimes people are accidental product managers because it's their idea and they're trying to figure out how to make the business work or how to manage the product, but without the actual skills. So I think when I'm working with startups and smaller companies, the experience is different in that I move into a teaching mode maybe more often than yeah. I do into a, a coaching mode. Yeah. So in terms of coaching, there's sort of direct ways and indirect ways or non-direct ways rather. And so direct ways are essentially telling someone what you know, and that might look like mentorship, where you're sharing your experience, what you've seen, how you've done it, not necessarily telling them how to do it, but you also might teach them something, which is a little bit of how to do it at a best practice level, or you might actually say, try this exact way of doing it and see what happens. And so I find it's more common in a startup or a small company or working with founders that I'm in that mode rather than you have the domain expertise. Now let's really help you to flourish and grow and realize your full potential. Right. Do you have to try it with the founders and startups? You have to kind of try and remove their bias because, you know, they've created a beginnings of a product or a company idea, passionate about it. They love it. They've got it in their heads. You might look at it and go, you know, there's a beginnings for something here, but what you're doing is maybe not quite right. So you have to try and get them to kind of, you know, come out of their own bubble almost to see the next steps. Not usually with the product folks. I think product managers are amazing because they're inherently curious and they're always looking for new and different ways of doing things. And, you know, it's not like accounting where there's a bunch of textbooks out there and mm. there's a set way of doing things. It's still an emerging discipline. We still have to figure out the best ways of doing things. There are best practices, but they have shifted drastically over the last 15 to 20 years. Yeah. And so we are constantly looking for what can be better here, what can be improved. And so if I find something where mm, they're not going about it in the way I think is the best way, they're super open-minded about it. And that's okay. usually why they've brought me in. More of the tension comes from the rest of the executive team and the rest of the organization, sales, CEO, not mm. usually finance, but other parts of the business that have sometimes competing goals mm. and a very different view of the world yeah. than product management, maybe don't have the comfort level in iterative discovery and making decisions according to validated data. Mm. Yeah. So yes, can be different. Yeah. And so as a product management coach, when I'm working with that senior level, either VP or C-level, 
usually the relationship also extends to the rest of the executive team, either directly or or indirectly. And so it's a slow mode of influence. Yeah. Okay. Can I ask, um, you mentioned the word mentorship earlier. Mm. For someone that's looking to improve themselves or tackle a problem with the current product and moving things forward, you can see mentorship and coaching often interchangeably as words. Could you talk a little bit through what's the difference and what value would someone get out of a coach versus a mentor? How to be deliberate about that choice? Yeah, that's a really great question. They're completely different, although you're right, they're used interchangeably mm. in vocabulary senses. So mentorship is essentially someone with deep domain expertise has the capability to pass that along to you. And there are sometimes internal mentorship programs that are organized by companies and they match you with someone who has that experience. And the relationship there is I seek you out as my mentor. I tell you my problems. And generally speaking, you will tell me when you've experienced that problem, how you've experienced it, what you did about it, what you learned about it with the assumption that I can then gather some learning from that and go about what I'm doing in a different way. And it might be a little bit of a sounding board, but really there, what you're trying to get from your mentor is their domain expertise. Mm -hmm. You might have seven years experience. They've got 20 years experience. Obviously in the the 13 year gap there, they've gathered a lot of information that you don't have and mentorship's great. So internally you might see mentorship programs and a lot of people have informal mentors Mm -hmm. as well, who might be working in the same space or might just be somebody they admire and someone that can help them think through how to progress their career. The difference with coaching, I'll distinguish between coaching and product management coaching because I see them as different. Traditional coaching assumes no domain expertise whatsoever. So that's where you see personal coaches out there and business coaches out there. Mm -hmm. And their role is to help you to come to the answer yourself and to help you realize your full potential. And it is a paid profession in lots of different ways. People might do coaching because they don't know what they want to do with their career. They might do coaching because they're not sure what to do with their business. But there is actually a formal approach to coaching. It's pretty well established. It's decades old at this point. Mm -hmm. There are some really great organizations out there who spell out what coaching is, the different tools that you can use when you're coaching someone else. But essentially, that person is the coachee is accountable for their own growth. And the coach is there as a mechanism to question and guide them to an answer and help them figure out what their next steps are. And a lot of times in the traditional coaching environment, you might be coached by somebody who doesn't know anything about what you do. So I'm distinguishing that from product management coaching, because I think we're in a unique situation where we have domain expertise of you know, 15, 20 years of, of product management experience. And, and a lot of us move into more senior roles, people management roles. And those who are reporting into us need to be able to grow. And the way that adults learn is through experience, mm. not being told what to do. So that's where coaching is really powerful. Basically, as a coach, what I do is I go in and I try to help someone articulate what it is that they want to accomplish, whether that is some stakeholders they're having a problem with, whether the team is challenged in delivering on time. So I help them understand what their goals are. We talk about what's been done to date, what the options are for moving forward, and to help them come up with a plan, 
all with the knowledge that I've gathered over the last 13 years of product management. Mm. And that's very different than some coach out there who doesn't have that experience because what I can do is I can recognize when someone is able to get to the answer themselves versus when they need help. And then I can move into that helping mode. So for example, one of the topics I work with a lot is OKRs. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really powerful goal management system. And a lot of the clients I work with end up adopting OKRs. They come to that decision on their own. Sometimes I can see they just don't understand it. And so I've got some materials that I use to teach them about OKRs. I have some tracking sheets that I use that I give to them. But in other cases, I can see their critical thinking skills are strong enough. They've seen what goal management looks like in other settings. So I'm just going to ask them a bunch of questions to understand how can you get to implementing OKRs and really let them come to the answer themselves. Mm. So, you know, it's product management coaching is a little bit around assuming the person has the answer and you're helping them get there. Sometimes it's more directive as in I'm going to share my experience with you and sometimes it's literally teaching. I've had experiences, I'd say more so in Australia, the most common coach that I see in any technology department or business is the agile coach. Mm -hmm. um, there's one out of every six people in Melbourne seems to be an agile coach <laughs> nowadays and the big four banks of Australia employ, I'd say, about 90% of the agile coaching market. But off of seeing that, what I've also seen is people not necessarily having the right mindset to want to be coached. Mm. So what are you looking for? How do you handle it when you're coming into help either a person or a team, but not everyone's on board with it. And what is uh, not a good client for you mm. that doesn't fit the coaching model? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm not great yet at figuring that out because I certainly have walked into situations where in hindsight, I probably, it was not a good idea for me to be there. Right, okay. I can say that when those around the product manager that I'm working with don't have strong enough emotional intelligence, or don't have a growth mindset, or have their own agenda for having the product manager coached. It's not that the product manager is the challenge for me. It's that no matter how much I work I do with them, they're not going to be allowed to mm -hmm. grow mm -hmm. in the way that they need to. So I think I've come to start to ask questions to understand that dynamic a little bit. Mm. I've been really lucky. Most of the situations I've been in, super supportive executive team or head of product, super excited coachy. But yeah, it is a challenge for sure. Yeah, I think that's um, really true. I think, but I think you've nailed it there is the reasons to take that growth mindset and, and that constant curiosity to and desire to grow. Mm. If it isn't there, I can imagine is so hard but i can also imagine also once you can change a mindset of someone and they can see the opportunity of yeah. how to be better yeah um that must be quite rewarding as well as a coach it really is yeah what i've found is sometimes just by a product manager shifting the way that they talk the way they think and the way that they interact with those around them they create little shifts in the way that others interact with them right. And then eventually they can get those around them to be more bought in and more supportive. You can, as a product manager, be strong at storytelling and try to bring people along with you. But sometimes they have to experience the difference in order to get them really on board. So it's not that it's a lost cause to coach someone in that environment. It's just a slower role. Mm. 
I suppose like any change, some people are going to be cautious of it and some people are going to jump straight in. Yeah. But uh, I certainly hear that it's all about the change as to you as an individual when you're being coached. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, 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 exactly. Do you find a lot of people, you know, they're in their comfort zone. You have to eke them out of that to see, you know, why the change would be valuable to them. And then, you know, kind of, it's a difference, isn't it? Coaching is, you know, showing the path, not walking it for them kind of Mm -hmm. thing. So, Mm -hmm. you know, some people just want to, to be shown. Mm-hmm. So how do you go about sort of saying to them, look, there's a reason we're doing this? Well, most of the people I work with have come to me. Okay. So they're already there mentally. So do you not get sort of teams that have their management say, this is happening to you, kind of embrace it. So the teams, the people have come to you rather than it be kind of a dictate from on high kind of thing. No, usually it's uh, instrumented by the product manager. Okay. They've asked mm. or the manager has offered and the product okay. manager is accepted. I would never want to walk into yeah, an, an environment where I was. Mm. they were told to work with me. That mm. wouldn't feel good to anybody. It's not set up for success, is it? No. That's kind of where I was. Yeah. Is there a way you can kind of, you know, you've been thrown in at the deep end kind of thing and you still come out the other side because, yeah. you know, you've turned mm. these mindsets, even though they didn't even want it in the first place. Yeah. So but That, that does exist. I've, mm. I've been in, particularly at an enterprise level when they use, you know, that fashionable term, the transformation. Yeah. Transformation <laughs> of X, Y, or Z. And a big consulting firm comes in and it is put in over the top mm. of you and they get all of the power to dictate new ways of working yeah. or yeah. complete fundamental shifts um, without necessarily understanding the business and the, yeah. the humans. Yeah. I mean, the Agile Code is a great example of that. But they're brought into teams often because Agile has been, it's the buzzword. Yeah. And, and we have to do Agile. Yeah. yeah. You know, that just gets thrown into a team sometimes. Yeah. So. I'm not saying that every Agile coach is this. But my belief of agile coaching is it's not really coaching. It's basically a consultant or a teacher coming in to enforce a bunch of practices. Mm. And the best agile coaches recognize that there's this method, but it doesn't work exactly as it does in the textbook when you implement it. And then what they're trying to do is trying to help you to figure out how can you implement it in a way that works for you. But still, there are, it's the confines of the methodology. Mm. The assumption is this is the way that you mm. should do it. And as you mentioned, it's sort of it's forced upon them. That isn't the environment that I work in at all. You know, I don't work with any particular framework. Mm. If somebody came to me and said, I don't know who I would meet with that would say this, but, you know, we work in an, a waterfall environment and we're happy with that. I'd say, great, that's okay. fine. Yeah. I'm not going to push anything on you. What I'm here to do is to help you to surface and articulate where you are now versus where you want to get to and what's holding you slash your team back. And then to help you understand how to get there and to be your support through that process. So, and I've seen agile coaches operate in that capacity as well, Mm -hmm. but also because agile coaching is a thing, there is a certification behind it. It has Mm -hmm. a registered trademark or whatever it's very possible to go to a training, understand the textbook agile methodology approach, or actually in most cases that's Scrum, right? Yeah. And then at the end of the training, say, I'm an agile coach. And without the experience of the human, the people mm, yeah. element, and also like not always having a background in technology or product to understand what that looks like, all you can be is dogmatic. Mm-hmm. But I don't think good product management coaching should ever be that. Exactly. Already coaching. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Be a bit flexible. Exactly. Thanks so much, Robin, yeah. for talking through it. This has been a great topic to chat through. Yeah, definitely. Thanks. 
Thanks, Thank James. You. I hope you've all enjoyed listening to this episode. Thank you for listening on the podcast or watching on YouTube or any other social channels. If you have enjoyed this session with Robin or any of the Product Coalition podcasts of the European Tour, please consider supporting the bushfire-affected communities and wildlife of Australia. And you can do that at bushfire.productcoalition.com. Until the next episode, thank you very much.